The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Mariners. I had to do it. I'm sorry. It's unbelievable. No, great season. How many guys watched all 18 innings of that game? Yeah, congratulations. For those that, that don't appreciate the details of baseball, like that was a horrible game. For those of us that love the game, like that was an amazing game, I gotta be honest. So anyway, um, but uh, in, in incredible to watch. Sad the season's over, but I think our future looks pretty bright, so that's kind of fun news. Hey, real quick, wanted to show you a rendering. Uh, I did post this on social media, but real quick, we have, um, that is our new lobby coming up. So just a heads up. Um, for, that was a, a really weak golf clap, but congratulations. Um, <clears throat> to, to the right is the ramp, so if you come down from the upper parking, so just to kind of get an idea of what you're looking at there, that's the space, and uh, that's where we're going. So going to share a little more uh, here in the next few weeks, but pretty excited about the future and uh, making room for others to join the family. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, we are in a series called Legacy. Today is part four, and uh, we are going to be in Joshua chapter four. If you've got a Bible with you, you could turn there. If you've got a smartphone, um, that works. But uh, Joshua four is where we're going to land. How many of you can remember in your life wearing hand-me-downs? Just raise your hand real high. Okay, yeah, a lot of us wearing hand-me-downs. Um, hand-me-downs are a funny thing because sometimes they're cool hand-me-downs, and other times you're like, great, now I look like my younger or my older brother, you know, and, uh, or, or sister, whatever. Um, and I remember when I was probably 19 or 20, somehow I came in to uh, a bunch of clothes that were my opas, my grandpa, um, probably from, let's say, the 70s. And I remember, like, man, these are some cool sweaters and stuff. So for a while, um, I wore some of his clothes, and I looked amazing in them, by the way. But... Um, uh, again, we have kind of a, a mixed uh, relationship with hand-me-downs. Some people are like, it's fine. Other people um, hate the idea. But when we talk about legacy, uh, you're almost literally talking about hand-me-downs. And I know it's different than clothing, but the truth is, um, when you think of legacy, the question is, what are we handing down? And so, so in a lot of ways, you can consider this idea of the next generation, which is what I want to talk about today, and the legacy that we leave. I know as we talk about legacy, that's the idea anyways, but I want us to look through the lens of the next generations or the generations that come after us. And this isn't just the idea of you and then your kids and then their kids and their kids and all of that. When we talk about legacy, in a lot of ways, in the context of, of today's conversation, it also includes this idea of Anyone that's younger than you, you really are leaving a legacy for. Anybody that, yeah, and so the, the idea, like I just had a birthday, I'm 47 now, which is closer to 50 and feels amazing, so I'm super mature, all grown up, everything's cool, um, I'm good. But every year older I get, and this isn't super profound for anybody, but every year older I get, the more people are younger than me, which means I'm considering more and more that there's a lot of people that I'm trying to leave a legacy for. In fact, if you're in here and you're like 98, everybody in the room is younger than you and you need to consider that. So just something to think about um, and um, we'll go from there. But I want to I take a look at Joshua 4 today. So if you've got a Bible, there's a bunch I'm going to read, but bear with me. It says in Joshua 4, 1, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. 
Verse 4, so Joshua called together the uh, 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord uh, your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua told them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. I'm going to fast forward to verse 19. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask you or ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. I know that's a lot of reading. Let's pray. God, today uh, we again invite your spirit to challenge us, to work in us, to transform us. That, Lord, we're not content being who we are, but you have us on this journey of continued transformation, not to work for our faith or not to work for our salvation or to please you in the sense of we're earning something. But, God, because of all you've done for us, let it be our response in these moments to open ourselves up to the challenge of your spirit and to consider, as we talk about legacy, what this conversation means for the next generations in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Let me give you the backstory real quick. If you've got your Bible with you and you opened it up to Joshua, you would notice that it's toward the beginning of your Bible. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are the first five books of the Bible. You might know that, you might not. It's called the Pentateuch. It's the historical books. And then we move to the book of Joshua. Well, if you go back to the other books, it's really uh, the establishment of a nation, the Israelites. Uh, We get to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then you get to Moses. And Moses is leading the people. He leads them out of Egypt but he ends up not bringing them into the promised land. There were various things that had happened that kept him from being allowed to, by God, allowed to go into the promised land. So at the end of uh, those books, Moses has passed away. Well, Moses has intentionally been, uh, you know, passed the baton to this guy named Joshua. And here's Joshua, and when it opens in Joshua chapter 1, it's a pretty incredible chapter. If you want an encouraging chapter, by the way, to read, when you leave today, go read Joshua 1, because it basically says this, hey, Moses is gone. He's done. He led. He did what he was supposed to do. Now it's your turn. And I want you to not be afraid. I want you to not be discouraged. Trust God. Believe that he has promises for you. And you need to bring the people into the promised land. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. And over and over, chapter 1 repeats that idea. Which, by the way clearly can apply to you and I when I think about, hey, I'm proud to be a church of 90 years old. I'm proud to say we have a great legacy and a great history, and we need to honor that, and we're going to on November 6th encourage you to be here. It's going to be a fun celebration. But on top of the idea of honoring, like Joshua honoring Moses, we honor those that have gone before us as a church. There's also the promise of God that says, not only do you honor them, but I have a promise for you in the future and some great things I want to do through you. It's the same challenge that we can put on ourselves today. God is with us, and he has a great future 
for us. Can I hear an amen? Which, by the way, that has to do everything with us corporately, but also you as individuals. That God isn't done with us. Any time that you and I still have breath, God still has a future. And so I want to challenge you with that kind of bonus sermon right there. So we get to the point where God says, all right, Joshua, go. Don't be afraid. I promise you I'm with you. I'm going to do amazing things. Enter the promised land. Joshua says, you got it. God, I'm going to do what you asked me to do. He prepares the people. He sends out some spies to look at the land. They come back and go, here's the report. Here's what's up. And, and uh, you know, they, they end up going, all right, we're going we're to take this step. The first step is to cross the Jordan. One of the instructions he gives is for the Israelite priests, that they are supposed to carry the ark into the river, and as soon as they enter the river, the water is going to stop. And that's what happens, and it's incredible, and it says that all of Israel passes through on dry ground. If you look at chapter 3, I'm not going to read it for you today, just for time's sake, but Joshua 3, 14 through 17 is the whole story of them actually going through as a nation the entire river while the priests stand there, and, and there's this crazy, amazing miracle that the river stops running. And by the way, it's a miracle, because we're not talking about like Allen Creek or the Pilchuck Creek. We're talking like a river that, by the way, at this point during harvest time is at flood stage. So you're talking a major miracle that all this water would stop. It's diverted and flows another place for a little bit and then it flows back together once the priests are done and the entire nation has crossed. It's incredible. But one of the things that's amazing is God says to Joshua, hey, I want you to, to appoint 12 men, one from each tribe in the nation of Israel, have them go down and grab the biggest boulder they can grab on their shoulder and carry them out and where you camp tonight, which is about a half a mile from the river, the 12 guys carry these 12 stones and set them up. And what, what, um, what God says to Joshua is, these are meant to be stones of remembrance. This is a memorial to God's faithfulness and miracle-working power. Time out. This is not the only time that, that God has challenged or reminded Israel or even us today that there are moments of or, or elements that are remembrance for you and I. If you go back to what God did in Egypt... And, and the Israelites leaving Egypt, what happened? It was the establishment of Passover. And if you've ever read about that in, in, in Genesis, or excuse me, in Exodus, what you read about is literally God saying, honor Passover every year because it's, it's a remembrance of my faithfulness to the Israelites. The tabernacle was a gathering place of remembrance. The temple became a gathering place to remember how big and amazing God was. And even modern day today, there are things you and I are called to do in remembrance. Anybody ever heard the phrase, do this in remembrance of me? Yeah, it's communion, the Lord's table. It's a sacrament like baptism that we do, and it's a remembrance. Jesus gathers the disciples in the upper room, and what are they doing? They're honoring the Lord in Passover. They're celebrating Passover. And I've already said this, but Jesus does something amazing in that moment to reorient Passover from being about what God did to, or for Israel to Egypt to now saying, take this bread, and what does he say? This is my body broken for you, do it in remembrance. And then he takes the cup and takes some wine and he raises it before the disciples and says, this is the blood of the new covenant. Do this when you drink it in remembrance of me. And as a church, we honor the Lord in, in taking communion. Again, calendar wise, about every six weeks here. But again, it's remembering the basics of our faith, what God has done in Christ that you and I can be forgiven, that you and I can find life and hope and purpose, that you and I can appreciate that we have an eternity with God 
because we remember the cross of Christ. Okay, in the same way, Joshua was told by God, take these 12 boulders, the stones these guys carry, and they carried them about you know, half a mile. Clearly they were CrossFit guys. But anyway, so that's another conversation. Um, no, but they carried them a half a mile and then set them up as a remembrance. And I love the picture that, that's painted because if you go back to just a couple times, it's repeated twice, so I'm not reading it like, why do you keep repeating yourself? It's said twice. In chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, um, God reminds uh, Joshua of it this way. Each of you, Joshua says to, them, uh, to the guys, is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of Israel to serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? It's repeated a little bit later. And Joshua finally, at Gilgal now, set up the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. And he said, in the future when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? The idea was every time that that any group of Israelites would be traveling along this this pathway or this roadway, they would stop and notice like, well, there's a bunch of stones piled up here. That's not just natural. What's that about? And it was meant to be a place where they would go, here's what God did as we entered this land. He was promising us this was the beginning of that journey under the leadership of Joshua and how faithful God was to stop up an entire river so that literally hundreds of thousands or maybe even in the millions of people could cross through this river on dry ground and get into the land God promised them. How big is our God? How amazing is our God? When you and I stop during communion and go, this is the broken body of Jesus. This is the blood that was shed that you and I can be forgiven, not because we earn it, not because we've ever been good enough, but because we believe in a Savior that paid the price for us. How good is our God? And so in the same way, God says to Joshua, set up these stones as a remembrance for how incredible your God is. Let's never forget it. As you fast forward the last part of these verses I just read, he says, set up the stones in both places. And then when they, he says, when they ask, tell them. The flow of the Jordan, this is verse 7 of chapter 4. The flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial for the people of Israel forever. The second time, with more specifics. Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God, (laughs) excuse me, dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this. Okay, this is the key here again. Verse 24. He did this so that all the peoples of earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. When kids ask, when the next generation asks, what are these stones about? You're supposed to say, look at how big our God is. And that doesn't change today, thousands of years after this story took place. For you and I, even as I said about communion, to be reminded that your kids go, why is that a priority to you, dad? Why does that matter to you, mom? When your neighbor sees how you behave and how you carry yourself, people go, what is it about you that you carry yourself that way? And sometimes the stones of remembrance in our lives are not stones we're proud of. Sometimes they're stones of impatience. Sometimes they're stones of scrolling through social media instead of giving attention to what really matters. Sometimes they're stones of bad habits. It's the challenge in our lives today. What are the stones we're leaving for the next generation? And I realize in our world, that can be a real crass thing to say, what kind of stones are you leaving behind? 
And I don't mean it that way because to the pure, all things are pure. So I want to talk today about these stones of remembrance because they're reminders. But what they're supposed to be in your life and in my life are, are reminders of who God is and the reverence he deserves. What kind of stones are you leaving behind? Do we live that way? It is essential that you and I consider the stones in our lives. And what I mean is this, the things that represent our legacy. To look at it this way, basically it's this, the things that you do and the habits that you keep repeating are becoming your memorial stones. The things that you do today I, I, yesterday we had a memorial here and it was a gal that was part of the church and, and her husband had passed away right before Christmas in 2019, right before the pandemic. And, 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 and we got to know her and she's actually a neighbor of mine, but she passed away back in August and the family had to put pieces together and fly here and stuff. So yesterday we had this memorial and she's 50 years old, which again, you're like, man, 50, that's too young. She had ongoing health problems for decades, but you know what was amazing? as different people came up to share about her life, what they shared was, you know what? While she dealt with adversity all the time, while her health was always a challenge, she never complained. She always had this joy. She never blamed God or became angry. I'm telling you, if you could have been here, you would have heard person after person after person from a couple of different uncles to other family members to people that knew her when she lived in Chicago and when she lived in Milwaukee, when she lived in Bothell, when she lived in Lake Stevens. Over and over, it was this ongoing theme where to the point where as a pastor, I put together a message. And I'm looking at my message going, I don't even need to share anything. It's all been said. Her legacy her stones of remembrance were while she faced adversity every single, I'm not exaggerating, every single day of her life, she always had this joy. She always had this passion to lean into her faith. And she would come here and, and before the pandemic, when she would come, she always had her oxygen tank, always. But she always was full of joy. And you knew she had ailments. You, you knew she had struggles. And then the pandemic hit, and right before her husband passed away, suddenly, and we were there for her, and, and, and it's fun to see our, our, our neighbors rally, and we have great relationship together, and we were all part of his memorial back in, literally right before Christmas 2019. And then less than three years later, here we are in the same place, sharing stories not of him, but of her now. It was sad, but it was a celebration of life. The reason it was a celebration of life had everything to do with the, fa the fact that her faith was intact, man. That absolutely, she's dancing on streets of gold, and she couldn't dance in her current condition that she got to be reunited, number one, with her creator, with Jesus, the savior of her life, and number two, with her husband. And so we got to celebrate, but for, for me listening, and, and I know that in those moments, people can lie real easy. Oh, they were great. You're like, no, they weren't. They were a jerk, but we gotta say something nice. It's their memorial, right? I mean, I hate to say that, but come on. You've been in those where you're like, I don't know if that's who this person really was. But this one, I mean, it was just this ongoing theme of like, man, the grace and the love. Man, the joy that she carried all the time. So what I want to do today, because the next generation is watching. And like I said, this is not just you as a dad or you as a grandpa. This is you when you navigate with anybody younger than you life. Any context. When you think about what kind of stones of remembrance are you leaving right now? Because it matters. So what I want to do, and this, this list can't be exhaustive because Honestly, you think of like, there could be hundreds of things. 
And in fact, even in my notes as I'm trying to pare it down, I'm like, man, I can't give them 20. I can't give them even 12. I did my best to pare it down. And I'm going to give you eight. And again, there are plenty more. And you can come up with your own list. It's really not super hard to do it. But I want you to consider some stones of remembrance that you and I are leaving for the next generation or that you and I should be leaving for the next generation. Number one, a habit of scripture reading and journaling. I know you go, that's not revolutionary. I didn't need to come to church to hear that today. But I want to come back to the challenge that I bring to you all the time. You need to be a reader and studier of scripture. You need to open it. You, you, you need to take it in. And like I've said before, not just you reading it, but letting it read you. There's something alive about God's word. This, the, the, the Bible is a unique book different than anything else. And I'm into reading all kinds of things. But the anchor of my life is a regular habit, a daily habit of reading scripture. And I'll stop and journal about what I read. And so we have the reading plan and we put it out there. Right now we're in Jeremiah. And what I do is I'll read. There's about four chapters a day, if you read the whole Bible in a year, about four chapters. And in Jeremiah, as we're reading, I'll, I'll journal. Now, when I say journaling, don't get overwhelmed because some of you guys are, I don't journal. I'm not going to journal. I'm going to write a book. I don't journal a lot. Very rarely do I journal a page. Most of the time, I don't even journal a half a page because for me, it can be overwhelming. And so what I do is I'll journal a couple of sentences to maybe a paragraph. And so I'll read the, the four chapters that I'm reading for the day. And then I'll, I'll step aside with my journal for my Bible and I'll just kind of paraphrase certain things about what I've read and then make it personal. And so I look at like, for instance, a good example would be like yesterday when I was reading Jeremiah, um, I think he's known as the weeping prophet. But if you've ever read Jeremiah, what you realize is, dude, this guy's like, his heart is broken for the nation of Israel. And so as I'm reading these chapters, I'm like, this guy's incredible. Wow, that's some rough stuff. The idea was, man, there's judgment coming because the, the hearts of Judah have become so hard. The nation of Israel has become so hard that, that he says judgment is coming, but he's grieved over it. And I just, again, I'm not trying to make myself sound better than I am, but my, my simple journal was a couple of sentences yesterday. God, I want my heart to be like Jeremiah's for the people I care about, for the communities that I love. That's what I really want. Again, I'm not trying to make myself sound better than I am, but that's it, a couple sentences. But I want to challenge you with that because, and I, sure, for me through the lens of a dad, I want my kids to wake up and in the morning see me carving out that time personally between me and Jesus because that stone of remembrance, not only do I want them to see it, I want them to implement that in their lives stones of remembrance. By the way, a little side note, um, I, I, I read the pages of a Bible, like wood, pages, anyway, so, but, um, sorry. Um, I, I know you can read on the app, and that's fine. I think I've said this before, probably recently. I read an actual Bible because I highlight, and I underline, and I mark dates, and I put comments in the margins, and I also have my journal books. I literally am writing, and it's, I don't type it. I don't put it on my phone. The reason is because someday, my kids aren't probably going to get a computer, right? They're not going to get my phone and go, oh, cool, his phone, right? But what they're going to do someday is go, wow, these are his Bibles. And they're going to be able to look back in, you know, 2020, 20, you know, 18, 2014, and read some of the things I wrote, some of the things I journaled about, some of the things I wrote about them that I care about, some of the journal things I put in there. And they're going to be like, man, my dad's a real idiot, you know, whatever. Like, I don't, everything's profound in my life. Like, wow, that's incredible. They're going to read a lot and go, none of this is meaningful to me at all. But some of it, maybe it would be. Just maybe, like even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then, right? So that's like, hey, maybe they'll stumble upon something I said that was good. I don't know. Sorry, that's okay. <laughs> Bible journal habit. Two, prayer times. I don't know how you live your life, but my hope would be that you're finding the value of stopping and praying. And sometimes it's as simple as when you gather for a meal to stop and go, Jesus, thank you for what you provide today. Thank you. Amen. It literally can be that simple. That's one example. 
other prayer times. Most of the time, my prayer times follow my Bible and, and journal. And so I'll come out of the reading and, and, and a journal, and then I'll just stop. And those things that I'm praying for, those things i kind of written down, I try to keep a prayer list, and there's certain things I pray for, burdens that you're carrying, things that you've said, hey, Pastor, please pray or whatever. Um, I pray for those things. I pray for things I care about, things that burden me about my kids or whatever it would be. Uh, but I just stop and pray. And again, it's not that I'm trying to get caught in prayer. Oh, look, my dad's praying. But as I have a habit, my, my kids will realize, hey, prayer matters. Prayer is a big deal. And sometimes it's, it's short, simple prayers over a meal. Other times it's my personal prayer time where I'll, I'll take more than a few minutes and just spend some time going over the burdens and things that are, are kind of in my head or I've written down. Um, and other times, even in our own family, what we'll do is we'll stop and go, hey, you guys, I know you're doing this, or hey, come downstairs real quick, everybody. We just want to take a few minutes, and just something going on. I just want to pray together. And we'll just stop, and we'll pray. And it doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be like, hey, 30-minute hour, two hours worth, or whatever. That'll wear you out and your kids and everybody else around you out. It will. But we will stop and pray over whatever it might be. And sometimes it's, it's pretty short. Sometimes it's a few minutes. But it's not 30, 40, an hour long at, at a time. But, but prayer times, stones of remembrance that I want my kids in particular to consider what really matters. Um, number three, repentance. Stones of remembrance. I say this because um, I was struck years ago by a conversation with somebody who found it surprising that I said, when you have that interaction with your kids, you need to repent. And their response was, and I'm not exaggerating this, their response was, well, but I'm the parent. I don't need to repent. They need to repent. I know for some of us, we go, that's foolish. They really meant it. And the idea was this, I'm the older person, I don't repent to them, I'm the parent. They're the kid, they can deal with it. I know that that can sound wrong, but there are people that maybe you believe that. I've never carried myself in a way that's like, I don't repent to people younger than me, right? Um, because at some point, I would never repent to anybody, because if I reach 90 or 100, like, there's no one to repent to, okay? Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Um, but, but even with my own kids, I, I've, I've repented multiple times to every one of my kids, and I, you can go, man, just find another church because this guy's a jerk. This guy's out of it. You know, he's, he's a loser. But I'm not perfect. And there's times where I realized my patience did not display like I wanted it to. I responded and reacted in a way I'm not proud of. And I'll have to come back and go, you know what? I'm so sorry. I totally overreacted. I totally didn't treat you the way you, you should have been treated. With my kids or my wife. I, I've, I've had to repent to neighbors before. I've had to repent to people in the church before. And again, I'm not saying like, I, I, anyway, I'm not perfect or whatever, but the deal is like, to, to walk in humility, that's a stone of remembrance. And some of us are not good at repenting. And usually when my wife and I are in some sort of argument and we're not getting along, I'm super stubborn and it takes me hours sometimes to actually go, I'm sorry. It, it does. But usually the apology starts with this, I'm so sorry, I'm so stubborn. And then I get into repenting of the things I need to repent of and whatever the argument was. Um, why do I make it a, a big deal? I make it a big deal because um, my, my concern is that we're not really good at making apologies. We just move on and act like nothing happened. Anybody? We just kind of sweep it under the carpet and give it a couple of days, and then we just kind of, hey, how you doing? I'm good. But you know there was something that, you know what I mean? Over time, that is a time bomb. Just so you know. Just so you know. So the practice of repentance, and I value that for, in particular, my kids and my family. But honestly, for anybody around me, I always want to have the humility to go, you know what? That was not cool, and I honestly, I am sorry. Number four of, of eight. So we'll be here about another three hours, okay? Um, just kidding. If you're online, plug your computer in. We're going to long haul here, okay? Um, just kidding. Number four, dinner. I, I, I know in our busy world, um, it's easy, man. Sports and extracurricular and all this stuff goes on. 
what would it look like for you to prioritize and carve out time to have dinner together? Now, I know you're talking family. It doesn't always have to be family. One of the things I talked to my wife about a while ago is, what if once a week we tried to carve out time to actually have dinner with someone else? Not our own kids, but, but even us as a family. There's something amazing that happens around our dinner table because we just talk to each other. It's crazy. We look at each other. We ask each other questions. That's just like a fork and a phone, like, you, know, you need seconds? Here you go. Right? And I, I make fun of it, but, but how many times do we get busy and we don't do dinner together? Or we are, we're scrolling and we're eating and it doesn't matter. But I all honestly love that we get to gather together and have a meal. And it is a challenge on our schedule, just like it is on yours. But to say, hey, could we make it a day a week where we do this or a couple of days a week and have the conversations? And by the way, if you're one of those where you're like, I don't really know what to say or what do we even talk about? Hey, what was your favorite thing about today? What was your favorite thing about this week? What was your least favorite thing about today? What was your least favorite thing about this week? How much do you hate me? No, don't ask that. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, but there, by the way, you can Google like um, conversation starter pack or whatever, and you, you can actually order for eight or 12 bucks cards in a little holder that you can put on your middle of your table and just draw out a card during mealtime and go, here's the question for the day. Now, filter it first because some of those can be inappropriate, just so you know. I was like, if you could, you know, okay, I, just skip it. Just skip it. Lord, just, okay. Um, yeah. Number five, gathering together with Christ followers. I know this is an example of that, but, but I want to continue to encourage you that this should be a priority. And I know how life gets, but sometimes I get so concerned that our schedules are so busy that we don't have time to gather like this. And yet I feel like it can be a real detriment because what you prioritize, you're a stone of remembrance when it comes to gathering. What, and my youth pastor used to say it this way, what you do in moderation, the next generation will do in excess. That should scare the fire out of us. What is it that I'm doing that isn't great, but I'm excusing? And part of it is gathering. And not just in a gathering like this, when we talk about discipleship environments, think about that. How are you being challenged in your faith? And I know we've got a couple of them. One's financial. Um, another one has to do with the foundations and Aaron and Evan uh, teaching that. But what are you doing? Life groups is another one. How you connect. I know we say like doing life together, challenging one another in scripture, praying together. But man, if you're not in a life group, I wanna continue to challenge you to take a step and get in one. And if you send an email and didn't hear back, let us know because we do try to pride ourselves on when you, when you communicate, we wanna communicate back. And if you didn't hear back, I don't know what happened, but, but don't give up yet. We want you to get connected. And, and, and be challenged with other Christ followers as iron sharpens iron. That's how it's meant to be. Number six, do you model healthy relationships? If something happens in your life and you're around people that you're most comfortable with, you'll say whatever you want to say. Am I right? Think of your marriage. You'll say whatever you want. I'm, we're married. I can say whatever I want to say about so-and-so because I'm so mad and I'm so whatever. But when you're around people that you care about, or you're especially thinking about like the next generation, I think about our kids, how do I carry myself when there's been an offense or there's tension or conflict between me and someone else? And, and the way that we see this model sometimes in our world is not good. You write them off. You talk bad about them. You post negatively on social media. You, you do whatever you want and say whatever you want. The next generation is learning from you. And they might live next door or they might be at work and you go, that coworker, and I can't believe and you're using four-letter words and you wrote them off or whatever. You're showing them relationships. The problem is you're not showing them healthy relationships. What does the next generation see in how you carry yourself with people that you used to care about? And I know that's a tough one. 
And I'm not exempt from that conversation either. But what does that look like? And, and obviously marriage is another great example of it. I, I don't, look, married 23 years, I love my wife, I adore her, I think we have a really, really great marriage. I do. But I gotta be honest, it takes work. It's not easy just because I'm a pastor. Come on. It's not easy just because I, I follow Jesus. It's a challenge. Can we admit marriage is a challenge for all of us? And so it, it takes work. Again, we value repentance in our marriage. We own and deal with stuff we need to deal with. We re, I don't know that we've ever swept anything under the car. We're not perfect, but we'll confront it. And sometimes it's like days later, we're gonna circle back and go, I just need to deal with that. I'm sorry. But showing and modeling healthy relationships to those that are younger than you that are somewhere in your sphere of influence, that matters. Because if you carry yourself like this world shows you, you give them the middle finger, you write them off, you, you do whatever, you slander them, you, you, we're done, we're never talking again. The generations coming after you are learning that. And it's not okay. Number seven, our heart to serve and I know we put a high value at, at, at the Grove Church on our ability to serve others. When we talk about our Grove Kids Carnival, if you're not familiar with it, and again, I don't say it like to brag, but we literally have thousands of people that will come here for one big party. But it actually takes an absolute army to pull it off. And if you find yourself October 31st or the days leading up to it able to lend some time to help make it happen, it takes a ton of people. But it's a giant party we do just to serve our community. We want to provide a safe place for kids to come and have a great time. And I know we talk about like 600 pounds of candy. Like, what are we trying to kill everybody or give everybody diabetes or whatever? And I get like, that's on one hand, like, that's, why don't we give them apples? And you know, but you know, when you're a trick or treating, you don't like to go to the dentist and they, you, know, you get floss. What? Are you kidding me? Sugar-free candy. And if you're a dentist, God bless you. Keep coming. Um, but part of it is like, hey, we just want kids. Like, hey, here, trick or treat or, you know, whatever. But, but come here and enjoy a great party and leave with a bag full of candy because that's fun for kids. Now, you could take it away later and eat it yourself. That's up to you, okay? Let's go back to repentance and healthy relationships. But anyway, um, but, but serving others, and again, it, it takes all kinds of forms. And there are families in our church that you model this so, so well. And, and the last one is this, financially. And I know you, oh, here we go. But honestly, the way that you utilize the resources that God has blessed you with, it matters to the next generation. And if it's only always about the next biggest thing, if it's only always about what you can acquire and what the nest egg looks like or what the toy is or the newest thing, it, it, it's gonna show. And I know this is a basic principle, but you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. And so I know we talk about generosity and we opened this whole series with a story that Jesus taught about the guy who did really well and got all kinds of stuff. And he's like, I'm gonna build bigger barns and I'm gonna store even more grain and then I'm gonna sit back and just chill and enjoy life. God says, don't do that, that's foolish. It's not all about you. He says, tonight your life's demanded of you. That's not good. He goes, that's how it is when you and I aren't rich toward God. And again, you go, oh, here, I'm not manipulating you at all. I'm simply saying as stewards, how you and I utilize our resources is going to show to the next generation. And whether it's your ability to bury yourself in debt because you got to have the big thing or it's, it's that it's the next toy and the big thing and all about what you can do with your stuff for you and yours or your ability to go, hey, how do I prioritize connecting with the Marysville Community Food Bank? How do I prioritize helping move kingdom balls forward here at Grove Church? What, what, what do I do at St. Joseph's House, or the gospel mission, or all kinds of opportunities for you and I to make this not just about us, right? And so just to challenge us, what does it look like for you and I to see through that lens instead of our own? When it comes down to it, and I need to end here, 
what are you leaving behind? And I know it's a little repetitive for this series, but if it all ended today, are you good with your stones of remembrance? Are you good with what people remember about who you were? What are the hand-me-downs? And we're not talking about clothing. What are the hand-me-downs that you're taking from you and giving to the next generation? What stones of remembrance are you memorializing for the next generation? Jesus, today, again, we surrender this conversation to you. And I pray that, that messages like today impact not just Sunday, hey, that felt good, but literally how we carry ourselves every single day, what we do every single day. And, and honestly, Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to, to empower us, to bring clarity to us, to help us reprioritize some of these things, that there are people in here that need to repent of what our stones of remembrance would be right now. And that includes me. There are moments, things where I go, man, God, please work in this. So I just pray for your spirit to challenge. I pray for your spirit, honestly, to rebuke us, God, that you challenge those things that aren't where they need to be. And I pray you would encourage and, and, and help us focus on those things that need to be the kind of priorities they are because we don't live for us. That we believe wholeheartedly that the next generation and the one beyond that and the one beyond that is gonna matter in a huge way. Help us live in light of that kind of legacy. What will we leave behind in Jesus' name? Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.